to another episode of Associated. It's a really beautiful day in London today, and I'm here with Francesca. Hi, Francesca. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Yes, it is beautiful. Um, thankfully, the summer has come back, hopefully, uh-huh. for a longer period of time than just sort of a snippet in May. Yeah. Are you still in Oxford? I am, yes. Um, so taking full advantage of the countryside and the sunshine, which is always nice. Awesome. So let's get to our guest today. And this is actually pretty cool personally for me because I've actually, although we didn't work closely together, we worked at the same company at the same time. And it's Paul Lahare from Albion VC. Welcome, Paul. Hi, Petra. Hi, Francesca. Hey, everyone. It's my pleasure to be on the podcast today. So thanks for having me. No, we're, we're really excited to have you on. Um, do you want to tell us, first of all, a little bit more about Albion? Sure, I guess, yeah, let's start with this. So I guess what's interesting about Albion is that we've been around for quite a while. We were created originally 25 years ago. Uh, we have about half a billion funds under management in RVC funds. What we focus on is really B2B software at uh, Series A stage. So we invest tickets of two to five millions. We can sometimes come in a bit earlier at late seed or a bit later at series B, but sweet spot is really, you know, series A and B2B software. In terms of subsectors, we've done quite a lot in cybersecurity, fintech, digital health. We have two partners that are ex-doctors actually, uh, data analytics as well, and, and some um, marketplaces, which is more of a secondary focus for us, but, you know, a model that I really like personally. And we also invest mainly in UK companies. We have a team of about 12 uh, investors, all based in, in London. Got it. Okay, thanks. And I guess zooming back, because we jumped right into Albion, you're obviously not English. Um, no. you're, you're French, is that correct? I am, yes, correct. Um, but you've studied kind of all over the place, um, sure. in the US and France and the UK. Can you tell us a bit more about like that journey and what you were studying? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in, in northeastern France, uh, close to Germany and Luxembourg, and, and then basically studied in, in Paris, which was my main university, but always, you know, kind of like moving around. So kind of ended up moving nearly every year, but first did an exchange program in the US, in Philadelphia, the University of Pennsylvania, which was a lot of fun, you know, very international, uh, you know, great for studies. Then came back, did my master's and ended up doing uh, a dual degree because really liked, you know, being abroad. And so my last year was in London at LC, which I really also enjoyed. Uh, so studied, yes, across three countries. And, and then after my last year of studies, I really liked London so much that I basically never left and, and always always been working here since then. It's been about 12 years I've been in the UK. Why did you like London so much? Because I adore Paris. So if I could speak French a little bit better, I'd be tempted to, to go there. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, Paris is also an amazing city, um, you know, definitely, although... Quite different. But I think about London, what you know really attracted me was uh, you know it's more international, more cosmopolitan. I really really enjoy that. I'd say you know overall probably more open, you know, so as a you know general mentality. But even more like specifically, you know, in France, if you want to work in finance, you really have to have studied business and finance, which I didn't. I, I studied more kind of politics and economics. And so you know, in France, for instance, I couldn't have worked in finance just after school. But, you know, in the UK or in the US, it's a very different approach, which, which I, you know, like. You don't necessarily have to, to have studied what you end up working in. 
So this enabled me to, to, to go, you know, try finance first, kind of the, the private sector. And yes, just really like kind of the, the vibe generally, you know, in London, it's uh, just a lot of fun also socially. Mm. Well, you're not alone because I think statistically one in eight people in London are French. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I <laughs> joked about, uh, I think, you know, yeah, some, some stats or that, that say that London is kind of the fifth uh, largest French city or something like this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, that, that's super cool that you, you picked London. So uh, as you said, you went straight into working in London. So, so what did you do? Yes. So at first, I basically started working in banking, not very original, you know, in London. This was in 2010. First did kind of a summer internship at Goldman and then Citigroup, uh, and then ended up joining Citigroup full time doing M&A, covering the the TMT sector. So including tech and worked there for for about two years and, and then left. So why did you leave? Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, various reasons, but, you know, a few people end, end, end up staying uh, kind of in investment banking for, for a very long time. Some do, but uh, but I think for me, it was more that, you know, I really liked tech in particular. I was working in tech. And I wanted some, to do something a bit more entrepreneurial, operational. When you work at, at such a big company, it's very, you know, hierarchical, bureaucratic, even, you know, lots of politics. Uh, I just wanted to, to do something where you're just much more hands-on and can see, kind of, you know, a bit the, the impact of what you do uh, more directly on a, on a daily or weekly basis. And so, yes, I ended up joining a, a startup, Viagogo, where I met Petra. Yeah, it's, it was kind of a random company at the time because it was mm-hmm. much smaller. So how did you one, get in touch with Viagogo and what was your ultimate reason for joining them? Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. So, yeah, so when I was looking to to leave CD and this was 2012 and there were, you know, more and more startups emerging around Old Street and all that, uh, you know, less than now, but still it was, you could tell, you know, it was booming and really interesting things happening. And so I was keen to either, you know, move to VC or or move to, to a startup. And at the time you had less VC jobs and, I'd got in touch actually with Martin Mignot at, at Index. We, we went to the same university in, in Paris and, uh, you know, I asked him if he had some, some advice and, uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, moving to VC might be a bit hard straight away, but, you know, you should consider a startup, which I was anyway. And so he told me, you know, what one, one good way to, to do so is to actually look at VC websites and who often list jobs in their portfolio companies. And so that's what I did. And, went to the Index Ventures website and, and I found actually this job, it was a business associate job at Viagogo, uh, which I didn't really know um, before, but I checked them out, thought what they were doing was in- interesting. And, and uh, the job also looked like a good fit for me because they were looking t- typically for ex kind of, um, you know, bankers or consultants. And yes, we really kind of liked the team and, and what they were doing. So Viagogo, for, for those who don't know, is a ticket marketplace, e-commerce kind of marketplace that enable people to, to buy or resell tickets for any type of, of live events. So sports events, festivals, concerts, uh, you know, theater. Uh, so I ended up joining them. Yeah, it was quite an interesting time also to join the company because there were, I, I personally feel, you know, I was there for, I think, potentially a year after you left. You you got to experience just this like astronomic growth, you know, like I feel like those years were the high growth years. I mean, it's obviously still, you know, um, continuing, but I, I felt like it was a very unique time to be part of that company. So then you you went to another startup, which is, I think, one of my favorites. I think 
Francesca, it's definitely one of your favorites too. I think it's my saving grace. Yeah. The <laughs> evenings, I perhaps had a drink or two. It's terribly helpful uh, <laughs> getting someone to guide you back home, whether it's uh, walking or, well, yeah, what I really like about CP Pepper is like the different options is so satisfying just having it all in one place and also it brings fun into what is normally quite a frustrating and mundane task of uh, getting around London City. (laughs) Yeah exactly it's always great to hear and uh, so CityMap has a very loyal kind of user base that that raves about it and uh, I mean yes obviously transport is one and moving you know from A to B is something we that is key to what we do, you know, constantly. I mean, right now, maybe a bit less. And and so people do it all the time. And it's so cool to, to your kind of daily life in the city. And CityMapper, by creating this kind of user experience and, and this product that's really easy to use, but also with a fun tone, personality, just, just kind of took that to the next level and created the app and this personality that people really, really love and, and keep on using a lot. Yeah. And you were there quite early so you were the second business hire at city mapper working as like the head of finance yeah so there the story is also quite interesting so that basically you know i, I like my time at gago i was there for two years but it was you know much more especially towards the end kind of a a big scale up and um, you know already quite a lot of employees probably over 200 uh, towards the end you know offices in various countries so it was very interesting but i learned quite, quite a lot but i was looking to do something more kind of you know Properly startup, joining really a early stage startup, and so I actually contacted kind of VCs again, asking them if they knew of such opportunities, and so I ended up meeting with Pietro Beza at Connect Ventures. Called him, emailed him, and um, it was very nice. This was seven years ago, actually, in the summer of 2013. We grabbed the coffee in, in Shoreditch, and he basically, you know, I told him kind of what, what I was looking for. Where I got back in touch in December, and you know, saying, well, actually, now is a good time. Cinemapper is looking basically for for kind of a CFO, you know, one of the first business hires. And so, yes, I ended up joining uh, early 2014 um, with the COO, Amit Ashtari, who were the first two commercial guys basically to join. So the original team was really Asmat, the founder, and, and, um, and you know, developers and, and the designer. So it was just six, seven people when we joined. And, and I, yes, I was in charge of finance, you know, all the numbers, um, whether it's also working on the analytics side, tracking all our metrics, uh, and, you know, many things as you do as a startup, especially when you join quite early like this, but we scale kind of the team and the operations over time. Um, did you want to go into VC from Viagogo? Was that like an option at that point? Yeah, it's true. You know, it's something I, I was uh, considering as well. So when I was actually getting in touch with VCs, uh, you know, I was telling them I'm looking to do something a bit more early stage, either on the VC side, potentially, if, you know, if you're recruiting or, you know, on, on the company side and, uh, and which, you know, where they ended up being, you know, more, more opportunities. And so that's what I ended up kind of doing in, in the end. Um, I thought it was great to just get, you know, more operational experience anyway, and like being at a, a startup that's really kind of early and, and, and yes, get more responsibilities, more exposure. That was a great way to, to continue kind of develop this way, actually. Yeah. And I think also you probably met a lot of people during that time when you were yeah. looking for that new role um, on, on the investing side and yeah. kind of showing your aptitude operationally. So it's almost like you had a great springboard then to moving in to the other side of the table, essentially. 
Yes, exactly. I mean, then then uh, it's a small, you know, ecosystem that's a bit bigger, but uh, you know, it's a small world, of course. You know, uh, all kind of the main VCs and startups kind of know each other, and so uh, whether it, it is kind of when I was looking for jobs, you know, contacting the the, the various guys, or then you know. When I was on, on the side, basically being a finance director at um, CD Mapper, we were fundraising also from VCs and dealing with various VCs. So I was uh, talking to them on, on the other end. So you end up, uh, yeah, getting to, to know uh, a lot of the people uh, in, in the space. Basically. I'm quite curious to learn a bit more about City Mapper because I've been following, obviously, and using it for a while. And I think that you're one of the first companies where it's not obviously clear from the get-go how you monetize this amazing product that lots of people are using it for free. And then I believe, I think, you know, a couple of years ago, they tried to do the um, Uber version with Mm -hmm. the designated transport lines that buses wouldn't go down. How did you as a team discuss and pitch to investors where you felt this product was going because you know you've got the likes of like olio and we farm that i still think are kind of stuck in this place where it's gathering lots of data but struggling to monetize it mm, sure yeah no so that's an interesting topic of course and and so monetization was one of the you know key things i was working on while i was there but for a while at the beginning it was mainly kind of pre-revenue just focusing on you know product development just international expansion we went from four cities to 40 cities just growing the product just uh, generally. But, you know, as we were doing that, we, we always wanted to build um, a viable business in, in parallel. And so it's it's probably, you know, less uh, or less common, more rare in, in Europe to have this type of companies than in the US. But, you know, in the US, you see that a, a bit more where, you know, if you have strong user growth and, and strong tra- traction, which you can show through kind of other ways, and especially here, you know, as we were discussing earlier, the, the, the user base is just big and also but very loyal, very engaged, uh, you know, it's a product you use potentially every day. And um, CityMapper also built that by never spending a, a dollar, you know, on marketing or, or advertising. Um, so it's all been kind of word of mouth and, and referrals. So, you know, all of that was very positive things for, for investors kind of initially. And then, yes, we... we Monetization became more of a, a focus and priority. We, you know, very long story short, we went through various, you know, experiments because, um, you know, the very simplistic thing would have been potentially to do advertising, but it wasn't something we really wanted to do because just first, like, it didn't really match with the philosophy or DNA of, of the app and the product. Although, you know, you could do it in a kind of native way that's not necessarily awful. But also, we just wanted to solve kind of uh, bigger problems and, uh, you know, mobility problems in cities just generally. And so, you know, maybe a bit naively at the beginning, but we we were always thinking of how to use our, our data to, to build interesting things. And so we ended up launching our own mobility services, first kind of a bus and then um, shared taxi or, or minicab service uh uh, that which we were kind of operated in a unique way and uh, that was interesting because basically we had the demand we had the user base and not just you know for cars but all you know the, the modes of, of transport through our data we were able to find gaps potentially kind of in, in the network so that was kind of an interesting approach but that's kind of a different company you need to scale operations you know you're competing against very well-funded you know uh, competitors so we ended up kind of transitioning, and and uh, now the company actually is focused on um, on the weekly transport subscription that they do through kind of a contactless payment card called called Pass, and that's actually a very interesting one. It's recurring, you know, revenue which you, you can 
basically get on a, on a weekly basis. And that's the main model that they look to scale going forward. And that's, you know, going quite well, actually. That's super interesting how, you know, thankfully, because of how much traction that you guys had, you had time to experiment because with a lot of companies, you know, they, they feel definitely that their burn rate is steadily increasing and they haven't found the, the right fit and the right way to commercialize their products. So I bet that is a great skill set and the experience that you've had, very useful going forward into evaluating companies. Yeah, no, it's true. Although, at, you know, Albion's a bit different because we, we would probably not invest, you know, in, um, I mean, we wouldn't un, un invest, you know, in pre-revenue companies. But but still, yes, definitely, you know, that you can leverage this experience, hopefully, to to evaluate kind of your companies when, when you're on the other side. And, and how would you compare what you learned at City versus what you've learned at Biogogo and CityMapper that, that contribute or, I guess, influence you in the work that you're doing now at Albion? Because like you said, at City, you were working with TMTs, so you already had this affinity for tech, or at least the financials behind, yeah. behind tech. Yeah, I guess uh, lots of things, but uh, in, in banking, especially you know, when you join at uh, the very beginning as a graduate, you're, I think what's, uh, what's, what you learn is just developing kind of your uh, financial skills, you know, analytical skills, modeling skills, but also presentation skills, just being very organized, you know, reliable, just getting stuff done, you know, basically is kind of what you learn and just generally working on the TMT and, and tech sector, although it, it was bigger uh, tech corporates, you just uh, kind of understand some of the, you know, maybe micro drivers and trends and, and, and these type of things. At Viagogo, it was, you know, much more operational, although you can leverage, you know, a lot of these soft skills there, it was, you know, much more kind of a working on a, on, on kind of the muck of, of the operations um, and also working with people from different backgrounds. You know, when you're in finance, I mean, banking particulars, you know, everybody's a bit similar here. You're working with uh, with different types of people, you know, whether it's the marketing people, the salespeople, the engineers, the customer service people. So you need to kind of a, a bit customize your maybe approach and communication to, to these different teams and yeah just just understanding how how you you need to to, to best work operationally one of the first things that i was doing for instance is building kind of dashboards of metrics and targets uh, to give to my team to monitor their performance but also make sure they would prioritize you know their their actions based on on kind of a data basically insights uh, so that's you know very kind of really directly tangible it's not doing just a, you know high level model of the company that uh, just is, a, is based on very high level assumptions so yeah that was interesting and then at the end I ended up managing also my kind of own team uh, so you know you develop kind of management skills also uh, that, that's that's quite interesting uh, and and see my approach to, to finish uh, there it was a bit similar, but just much more early on. So there you just completely hands-on. Uh, you wear a lot of different hats. Uh, you do the job that, you know, several people would do at a bigger scale-up or company. I mean, you, I had to create, you know, the, the kind of finance function from scratch and, again, kind of do all the roles from, you know, some very manual operational things, you know, even just doing expenses, payments, you know, payroll to the more strategic things, you know, fundraising and, and uh building the financial model of the company or, you know, investor relations. So it's fun, but it's also, you know, tough because you, you have much less resources. And so you have to be ready for that, you know, to be very hands-on. Uh, but you, yeah, you learn how to kind of manage the burn, the runway, which is quite critical, I think, for, for, you know, startups that are running out of cash also. 
hopefully, uh, you know, helpful. Not that I'm on the other side to, to kind of, uh, you know, evaluate companies or, or coach them with existing investors. And and so now at Albion, how are you split up in terms of what you look at versus your colleagues? Yeah, so I guess, you know, we don't necessarily formally split up, uh, I mean, a little bit, but, you know, overall, uh, as, as a company, it's a very, like, team-based approach, also, you know, very collaborative not necessarily all VCs are, are like this. Um, so really work kind of as a team. Uh, but I have a colleague, for instance, that likes, you know, fintech and, and uh, quite a lot. And so that does, you know, quite a bit in this. But I've done actually also a fintech deal earlier this year. Fintech is, is so big, you know, in, in B2B in particular in, in London anyway. Great. And are there any themes, Paul, that you're particularly interested in at the moment? Yeah, no, I guess, I mean, yeah, two, two things I'm looking at quite a lot right now are companies that can benefit from digitization processes and, and those trends, if anything, are accelerating, you know, in COVID. So companies that can foster that or benefit from it, I think, are, you know, can be really interesting. And, and another one, we talked a bit about marketplaces, but I think B2B marketplace in particular something I'm looking at. Um, you know, I think that the first wave of marketplaces have been mainly B2C, but now we see, you know, more and more kind of tackling uh, B2B challenges and again, helping in particular uh, move like offline processes or things that are done very manually, like, uh, you know, helping automate them and moving them online. So, so the, those are yeah, models I, I like quite a lot in particular. And and just going back a bit, I'm I'm curious to to understand well firstly you know you had just this phenomenal experience you basically had the full suite ready and waiting for you to go into VC why did you decide to go to VC where you could clearly have gone anywhere else with such like great names behind you and being able to say that you have contributed significantly to in their growth um and secondly why Albion yeah no it's a good question uh Definitely a good question, but so it's something you know. As I was saying earlier, I had always kind of considered mo- moving to to VC, but you know, I really liked working in startups for for over seven years. But um, when when you work at a startup, it's very you know operational, very micro, as as a, as, a, as I kind of call it. And after seven years, you know, especially at startups, it can feel like double sometimes. I just I was just ready for change generally and wanted to move to something that was kind of a bit more macro, as I call it. You know, and uh, when you work at a startup, you're very much focused on just one one thing, one kind of project company, basically, which is fun. But you know, I like kind of the variety which you get. You know, in VC, you get to work you know across different companies. Meet a lot of you know great people, entrepreneurs that you know really inspiring, and uh, you, you work even you know potentially across subsectors. So a lot of variety, like you constantly learn kind of uh, new things, really kind of interesting. I really kind of um, enjoy that basically. So just kind of um, working, I guess, a bit uh, further up the, the kind of funnel was something I was quite in, uh, interested in, in in doing. And why Albion? was because you know in short i really like kind of the the team in particular uh they've been around you know for a long time like 25 years they went you know through various for instance you know crises before so although you know this one is quite unique they've had kind of this experience very experienced uh, guys but also uh, yeah really great team you can tell uh you know no kind of politics or a good a good atmosphere very collaborative just, you know, really good guys. And the, the team was the main thing at the end of the day, you know, the people you're going to work with and 
hopefully you know stay there for, for a long time for, for the future of your career was, was uh, and then also I mean one thing that's good at Advin is that there's a path to grow potentially if you do well and, and to be you know potentially pr- promoted to partner over time which not necessarily many VCs have so that was another thing that, that was very attractive about them. Yeah, and that's actually something that I highlight a lot to people asking me about wanting to go into VC is that mm. unlike, say, in investment banking, where there's quite a clear path that if you work mm. really hard, that you have an opportunity to move up the ladder, it, it, it can be quite hard in venture capital because of how the business model works is that, okay. you know, partners are sitting on a nest egg mm. and they don't want to be moving out just as their companies are going to be exiting um, because they want that that carry. So I think it's important not only for people wanting to get into VC to consider this, but also for startups, right? If a fund has just raised, and that's a great time to start approaching, if they're at the end of their cycle and there's not a lot of uh, noise around you know, them raising another fund, then that's really something to consider. Not necessarily understandably spoken about too much. <laughs> No, you're totally right. It's it's a great point, and uh, yes, some people you know will be fine with it. That you know, it, it might be just a two three year kind of program because you know you still learn a lot. You, you meet a lot of people, and so you know, still great experience. Uh, but yes, you 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 have to be aware that it's likely that it's only that, and then you need to consider something else. Which you know, again, with the experience you get, I'm, I'm sure you'll be fine. You can still do plenty of other things, either potentially mo- moving to another fund or, or to a startup. But yes, that's definitely something to, to be aware of and consider, you're right. And, and you touched a little bit on the crisis, which I don't think we can eliminate from the discussion because it's you know still obviously ongoing. What was the response to that You know, maybe a few months ago? And then obviously um, we can chat about how you're dealing with it personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. So well, we've been you know, fairly lucky because we focus you know, on B2B software. Those are companies that are you know, not too impacted compared to, to some B2C companies in some sectors. So... Uh, th- those models are, you know, quite typically resilient, have, you know, recurring revenue streams. So things have been fairly stable. And, and actually, that's why it's interesting to have a portfolio, because for some subsectors, even things have been actually doing better than expected. You know, digital health, for instance, I mentioned we do quite a lot. A lot of companies in that field have actually accelerated, if anything. Cybersecurity is another, you know, subsector that's uh, doing, you know, well uh, during the crisis. So it's been kind of varied. But yes, the, the first kind of months or two is really focus on the portfolio. But at the same time, we still closed two deals, which we were um, doing previously during COVID. And so that was good to do that. And since then, also the activity has really picked up. Uh, it's been actually very busy right now. I'm, I'm working on a new deal, which will close you know, soon, hopefully. And we're working on another one too. So, so things have been actually really busy. And uh, obviously we've been working from home uh, remotely, but you know, this works fine and it's been actually okay in many ways. That's, that's good to hear um, because you also have another element which impacts your work, which is, you know, the fact that you're a young dad and you now have, you have two kids now, right? Correct. Yes. How have you found that in general kind of, you know, raising kids and, you know, being in venture, which can sometimes take up a lot of evenings. How have you been able to balance that pre-COVID and then during the crisis? Yeah, no, it's great. Great question. So I have two kids uh, of two years, basically, and half and, and six months nearly. So our second one was born just in, in February, just before, you know, COVID. So 
but no, it's it's true. You know, it's obviously it's it's wonderful to to have kids and uh, amazing experience. But it's you know definitely tough. You know, I have to say like, uh, and you know, one of my conclusions has been like you can only underestimate it. <laughs> like, uh, not that I want to discourage people. Of course, it's you know still amazing again. But, uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it is tough. You know, in a big city like London, or where you, when you work also quite a lot. So yes, and one thing actually I had really realized because obviously it hadn't happened to me before. You know, Albin is my first job. I moved there basically a year ago, uh, exactly. At the time, I had just one kid. But but yes, changing jobs also when you have kids is, is kind of harder than I thought because, you know, uh, you, you're much more conscious about doing friends late nights, late evenings. You know, you want to, to kind of come back home at a reasonable time to, to see your kids and, and, uh, and, and, you know, just obviously help um, on everything that needs to be done. So... So it's, it's not easy, but at the same time, um, you know, you're lucky that you can still do your job uh, also kind of apart from home. So you kind of adapt a bit your, your schedule, uh, you know, work maybe a, a bit more in, in the evening, take a break before to come home. And, you know, also we've been really lucky that we have really good help from my mother-in-law in particular that's staying with us. So we have uh, for part of the time. So really lucky to, to have help. And uh, that's definitely something you should try to get, like, uh, you know, as much help you can from family in particular, if you're lucky to have it. But uh, it's, it's not easy. And yeah, COVID has been, uh, again, we've been lucky to, to have help. And my wife is from Latvia originally. We actually moved back there for some time and they're currently there at my in-laws. But it's, you know, so I haven't had like the super difficult, you know, experience of having two young kids, no nannies, uh, or no help uh, at home. Uh, so to be honest, I've had it a bit easy, but but still it's, it's, it's tough, you know, you need to, to jungle between demanding work and doing that. My sister uh, has also had a lockdown baby. So I think she's she's moved to Oxfordshire with us as well and has really appreciated right. my parents being able to help out. And uh, I get to enjoy being the fun aunt. <laughs> But, you know, it has, you know, pros and cons, but overall, you know, I've actually enjoyed being more at home, you know, for, for me. And, you know, we're lucky again, we can do our, our job remotely, you know, mostly uh, and actually spending more time with them this way has, has been, you know, quite great. I've seen, you know, my, my new daughter more than I would have otherwise, uh, probably, and my son also. So, so yeah, no, that, that's been nice for, from that point of view. Although you, you, you end up uh, working quite more, you know, being at home and having kind of no separation. Yeah, no, definitely. And and in terms of your um, due diligence process, how has that changed or has it changed at all? Sure. So no, it hasn't really changed much. I mean, you know, so we're still looking for the, for the same things, assessing the, the companies in the same way. I mean, obviously, the sectors or companies that have been, you know, b- badly affected by COVID will be hard. So I guess you're, you're looking to check whether, you know, how, how traction has been recently and whether, if anything, they've maybe kind of done even better during COVID. I mean, companies have continued to, to grow or, you know, add more clients um, throughout these times. If anything, you know, might have kind of counter-cyclical qualities, so which is a great thing to, to kind of uh, have and, and, and check for. But otherwise, it hasn't really, you know, check. Obviously, you just do it mainly on, on the video and, and online, which, you know, in some ways can make it uh, easier because you, you can just do that, you know, quickly. But... You know, for us at the same time, it's true that we, I don't think we'd be able to do kind of a, a deal, you know, fully remotely without having met the, the person ever, or the, you know, the founder ever in, in person. So we still kind of try to do that. And now that things are, have gone back to, to, to normal, you know, you can take 
at least once at some point, like a walk in the park or something like this. So, you know, we still do do that, but the rest, you know, can still be done remotely and, and it's fine. And what gets you super excited about a company? Is there certain metrics that a founder who's listening should be sort of aiming for, or is it a little bit more specific to each each business? Yeah, no, I mean we we have a set of things we we look to, but I guess you know first kind of tr- traction wise to to get that you know out of the way. You know, typically for us, Series A, you know, means like around a million, you know, ARR growing strongly, you know, around a hundred percent kind of year on year. Oh, you know, over that, the team is obviously super key and the founders and, you know, we, we like if they have um, good kind of um, domain knowledge and experience, not necessarily a prerequisite, but something we definitely like. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's kind of assessing the, the market size, uh, you know, making sure it's obviously kind of large, you know, what, what are kind of the, the trends uh, and also kind of the tech, you know, is it, um, is it differentiated? Is it kind of d- defensible all the time? Uh, these are really kind of key things we look at. And just, you know, more generally also understanding, obviously, clearly kind of the, the problem that they are solving, you know, the, the value problem that they're creating for, for their clients. All of that is, is just a starter that, that you need to, to, to understand well and get excited by kind of the, the vision and the solution overall uh, would be, yeah, really, really key things. Nice. Well, I think that leads us quite nicely onto question time. Great. So thank you very much to everyone that has submitted questions, but we've picked Dia today, who is a founder. What does your anti-portfolio look like? Yeah, sure. So it's a good one. And some some VCs even have it, you know, on their website, like, you know, showing their anti-portfolio, you know, the companies they passed on and that ended up being major successes. So, you know, I've, I've been on the VC side for, for about a year, so I, I don't have too many yet or actually not that I'm aware of but you know I'm sure there'll be some you know over time but I know that one big one I think we passed on uh, historically at Albion was uh, just it I think there was one you know <laughs> where they, they, they passed on definitely regret now uh, it's always you know easier when you look at it retrospectively but you know definitely I wish I had done this one not aware of too many others but you know I'm sure that there are others but that would be that would be quite a big one for sure Great. Um, and so, so Dia will have a, a phone call with, with yourself. So congrats, Dia. It's very, very exciting. Um, and so to the last part of our um, episode, we're going to do a quick lightning round of, of just like fun questions um, that we've come up with. And so we are going to start with, what would you name your VC fund? Gosh, that's tough. I don't know. I'm just going to say fun VC. Fun VC. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, Okay. So, second question: What's more important, team versus product? And you can only pick one. Team. Yeah. Definitely. You know. I mean, you know, both important, but team is always like. I mean, the team sets the product anyway. It's just always team. Okay. Cool. And then finally, are you a morning or an evening person? Uh, Interesting. Probably more, I'd say, morning, you know, although I kind of like both, but, you know, I like to, especially for work, I like, you know, working in the morning uh, when I'm still fresh and yeah, energized. Yeah, same. I'm a, I'm a big morning person, too. I wanted to throw in one more quick fire question, which is probably not going to be that quick, which sure. Will Bricker from uh, Hustle Fund on a previous episode decided to make one up himself during the uh, episode and his 
his uh, question was, what is your uh, slide when a startup sends you a deck? So what slide do you come across and you just think, ugh? <laughs> yeah, interesting question. I think that there could be several ones, but one that come to, to mind just directly is, you know, when showing kind of the, the, the market size or the time, you know, it's just having one big numbers there, you know, saying, you know, it's 20 billion uh, global market, you know, and, and that's it, which is, you know, really not helpful. I mean, you know, yes, it, it's good to know that, you know, potentially, you know, if you include everything, it's that big, but it's, it's just, if you just stop there, it's just, you know, not enough. And it shows you, you haven't done like the proper kind of granular work. So of understanding, you know, how is that kind of composed? Uh, what what of that can you target directly, you know, now and then maybe in the future? And then, you know, having, that's kind of the top-down approach, but then also having done a proper, more like bottom-up analysis, uh, starting with, with the companies you could target is, is just a better way to do it. So, so yeah, ju just having, you know, those kind of, you know, just big high-level numbers with, with not much, you know, substance sometimes behind it is just uh, something I would try to avoid. Yeah. Great. Well, you heard it here. First, people, no excuses now. And finally, how do people get in touch with you, Paul? Um, you know, various ways, uh, LinkedIn, contacting us to our website or by email. You know, my email is plehair, L-E-H-A-I-R, at albion.vc. Uh, so, so, yes, you know, any, any way. Well, thank you so much, Paul, for your time today. It's been amazing. Thank you. Yeah, no, again, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, you're a great uh, host and uh, really enjoyed your questions and uh, well done on, on having such a, a great podcast. I know a lot of people follow it, so really nice. Thank you. Well, thanks guys so much for listening. I'm super excited and happy to have Paul um, on and especially being able to interview an ex-colleague. To our listeners, thanks always for tuning in. Please make sure you, get, you follow us on Twitter at associated underscore pod, P-O-D, and write to us at associatedpodcast at gmail.com. We're always super excited to hear from you. Thanks, guys. Please remember also that we've got a Notion page with lots of resources. So do check it out if you want to learn more about getting into venture capital or how to raise from a top VC. Thanks. Bye. Bye.